Well, not too long ago, I was looking in one of the church closets, and I was amazed at all of the costumes that we have here at Edge Church. I'm convinced that we truly have costumes for every occasion. We've got Christmas, Santa, the elves, we've got the nativity, we've got wild animals, cows, pigs, any other kind of costume we probably have running around here at the church. I saw this shepherd's costume and uh, this shepherd's staff, and I started looking at it, and it reminded me that a shepherd in the ancient world would take his staff, and he would use it to protect the sheep. Uh, If the sheep was about to go over the ledge, which sheep were notorious for doing, he could reach out, and, and he could grab the sheep by the neck, and he could... He could redirect it. Uh, If a wolf showed up trying to eat the sheep, he could take the shepherd's staff and he could smack it on the head. If the sheep just needed a a little correction or direction, he could kind of pop it on the bottom and give it a little bit of discipline to kind of point it in the right way. But the shepherd would use his staff for correction, protection, and direction. And I started thinking about that, and I thought, you know what? Jesus is our good shepherd, and Jesus, the good shepherd, has done so many wonderful things for us. And I looked at the staff, and it reminded me that I am hooked on Jesus. (laughs) And you know what? I think as we travel through John chapter 10, my hope for you is that you would be hooked on Jesus as well. Today we're kicking off a brand new series called The Good Shepherd, and we're talking about the shepherding heart of Jesus and how he leads us and directs us. I want you to open your Bibles to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. As we look at this fascinating topic, Jesus described himself as the Good Shepherd. In uh, John chapter 10, verse 11, he said, I am the Good Shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And then we know, like in Psalm 100, verse 3, that the Bible describes us as sheep. Uh, Look at this. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So in Scripture, Jesus is the good shepherd, and we are his sheep. We're sheep. Uh, A pastor friend of mine calls us sheeple, sheeple, because we're people, but we have sheep instincts. We wander, we get in trouble, we do other things that are similar to the the sheep, and and we, we need this good shepherd to come and to direct us. Let's look today at five reasons why we should be hooked on the Good Shepherd. Here's number one, and you can write these on your notes if you would like to to do so. The shepherd, first of all, knows me. The shepherd knows me. That's intimacy. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. So Jesus says, I know the sheep. Is there anything more wonderful than being known by the Good Shepherd? I mean, Jesus really, really knows you. He really does. God knows all about my faults. He knows about my failures. 
He knows about my fears. He knows about my feelings. He knows about my frustrations. He knows about my future. In fact, Psalm 139, 16 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God had it all mapped out even before you and I were born. And the shepherd knows us. And here's what else is beautiful. The shepherd knows you, and the shepherd still loves you. I mean, it would be easy to kind of look back at our life and feel like, well, if God knew this about me, maybe God wouldn't love me. Or if Jesus knew that I used to feel this way, or sometimes that I still do feel this way, maybe he would run away from me. But the good shepherd knows us, and he lays down his life for us. He knows us, and he still loves us. Jesus knows us completely. There may be times when we are a mystery to ourselves, but we are never a mystery to him. The good shepherd knows us, and he knows the individual needs. I mean, just like a shepherd will know, this sheep has more of a tendency to run off, or this sheep wanders away with that other sheep or this sheep sometimes likes to go walk on a ledge looking for grass he knows the tendencies of the sheep the good shepherd knows our tendencies he knows the areas where we struggle he knows what we need he knows our individual needs in fact that's why we can trust the good shepherd to lead us and to direct us isn't that beautiful to think about I mean, if he is the good shepherd and he knows us, then shouldn't he be able to lead and direct our lives? We can trust him. We can trust the voice of the shepherd. We can trust the voice of the Holy Spirit. We can trust the, 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 the teachings of Jesus, the things that he said. He's the good shepherd. So he knows how to lead us and how to direct us and how to help us. The good shepherd knows what we need. And he's able to give it to us. Christ knows our temperaments, our moods. He knows what lifts us up and what brings us down. We're intimate with God. God knows us. But here's something that is even more beautiful. If you look back at the same verse, verses 14 and 15, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And check this out. And my own know me. Now, it's pretty amazing that God would know us. But let me just blow your mind for just a minute. Jesus says, not only does he know us, but he says that we can know him. I mean, that's incredible. It's easier to believe that Jesus would know us, the resurrected son of God, than it is for us to believe that we could know him. But God wants to be known. Jesus wants to be known by you. And he has revealed himself in the scriptures. He has revealed himself in his promises. He reveals himself in our prayers. He reveals himself in so many ways. In fact, Jesus called us his friends in John chapter 15, meaning he wants to be known. Listen, God knows you, but God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. John 10, 9 says, I am the door and If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This is accessibility. I mean, 
we have access to the good shepherd? Are we accessing that relationship? Are we accessing it? He says, I'm the door. When, when a shepherd w- would, would gather his sheep at night, he would make a little sheep pen. And he would gather branches and logs and maybe some stones. And he would make kind of a place for the sheep to rest for the night. And he did so because he know, knew that the wolves would be out looking for the sheep. And the sheep would wander off and then they would get eaten. So the shepherd would build a, a little storage pen or a little area. And then he would sleep in the door as to protect the sheep. And he would sleep right there. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. In other words, there's only one way into the fold. There's only one way in, and that is in and through that door, and I am the door. Jesus says, I've given you access. See, there was a period in church history where where many people were taught that to have access to God, you had to have a priest. But when we actually read the scriptures, we see that God has given access to himself in and through his son Jesus, and that we don't have to go through somebody else. We can go through Christ. So listen, if you can't get the priest on the phone at 2 o'clock in the morning, you can still talk to the Father You can still have communion with God. You can still have intimacy. You can still pray. That's why I'm hooked on the good shepherd. Because the good shepherd knows me. But he also sacrifices for me. Look look at this second thing here. Verse 11. I, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In other words, the shepherd sacrifices for the sheep. I lay it down. He says, I'll I'll sacrifice. Uh, Jesus is is telling about his his crucifixion and his resurrection. He says, I will lay it down and then I will take it back up. Crucifixion, resurrection. But he says, I do so because I'm the good shepherd and I care for the sheep. Jesus laid his own life down. It was not taken from him. Jesus is the one that decided to go to the cross. It wasn't wasn't the Roman establishment. It wasn't the chief priests and the Pharisees. Jesus willingly laid his life down. In fact, in verse 18, he says this in John 10, 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Jesus loved us so much that he willingly gave himself to die and to rise from the grave. He is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He sacrifices for the sheep. But number three, the shepherd also will never abandon us. He's faithful. He's faithful. You can always count on the good shepherd. People will let you down. Family members will let you down. Friends will walk away. You can always count on the good shepherd. He's always there. He's always faithful. Look at this in John 10 verse 12. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. 
This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus is saying, I'm the owner, I'm not the hireling. A hireling is somebody that would work on behalf of the shepherd. Maybe the shepherd wanted to take a little vacation. And so he pays the guy 10 bucks an hour to come tend to the sheep. He's a hireling. He's the intern. But when the wolf comes, what does the intern do? The intern runs off. Why does he leave? I'm not going to put my life on the line for somebody else's sheep. I mean, if they were my sheep, maybe, but, but th- this is the other guy's sheep, and I'm just making minimum wage, so what difference does it make to me? <laughs> Jesus says, no, no, no. My relationship with you is not like a hireling. I'm not a hired hand. I'm the good shepherd. You are a part of my flock. You're a part of my family. I won't, I won't run off on you. I will protect you. I will fight for you. I am with you to the very, 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 very end. I will never abandon you. Christ cares for us because we are his. You know, there's a big difference between being an owner and being a worker. Some of you own businesses or you have people that work for you. And maybe you get frustrated at times because maybe people don't do it a certain way. Or they don't do it what, the way you would do it. Or they don't do it the way that you think is best. That's normal. That's part of being a leader. I think every leader feels that way to some degree. I hired a group to come um, and mow my grass a couple of years ago. And um, one uh, afternoon, I, I had trimmed the junipers up and I cleaned up all the little clippings, except I think one fell out on the ground. And I saw it and I didn't think that much of it because I thought, well, the yard guys are coming tomorrow and they'll just run over it with the lawnmower and, you know the yard will look great. Well, to my surprise, the next day, I looked at my yard, and the yard had been perfectly cut, and it looked great, but that, that, that three or four inch piece of juniper was laying in the same spot that I had left it. And it occurred to me that this guy that was cutting my yard had mowed and mowed and mowed, and when he came right up to it, instead of just running over it, he picked it up, he moved it over, he finished mowing that strip, and then he moved it back, as to not do anything extra. And I thought, you can't make this up. You know, it wasn't like I cleaned out all of my flower beds and put it in the yard. Just one piece of juniper. Now, I used to mow yards as a kid. And I ran over everything. Leaves, trees, you know, I mean, trash, whatever it was. Just sucking that thing up into the bag. That was the best, that was the best way to do it, was run over it with the lawnmower. And I thought, you know, there's a difference between being a homeowner and then somebody just coming to kind of help with the yard. The same, the same guy did some fertilizing a couple of years ago. And he burned and scorched the grass. And I still have holes in my yard where 
they had fertilized, you know. And they asked this year, hey, do you want us to fertilize again? I'm like, no, please, don't get close. Don't bring the fertilizer anywhere near the yard. I'll let you mow, but please don't, please don't fertilize anything. Well, when somebody's a hireling, when somebody's just helping out, when somebody's filling in, when somebody's um, just kind of doing a menial task, it's not that important to him. Jesus says, listen, I'm not the yard guy. I'm not an intern. You belong to me. You can count on me. I am the good shepherd. I will not run off. Jesus doesn't run off when you sin. Can somebody say amen? I mean, Jesus doesn't run off when others abandon. Jesus doesn't hit the road when circumstances are bad. Jesus is with us. In fact, sometimes Jesus' greatest work is done in our lives in those darkest hours and those darkest moments. Jesus says, you can count on me. I'm faithful. But number four, this good shepherd gives us eternal life. He will never abandon us, but he also gives us eternal life. Look at this in verse 28. I give them eternal life. And they will perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Look at that word give there at the beginning of verse 28. You ought to underline that. In other words, eternal life is a gift from God. It is given to us. It's not something that's earned. It's not something that uh, is given to us as a reward for certain uh, achievements. It is a gift from God. Uh, And the word give, you know, expresses that. I give them eternal life. Uh, Salvation, life eternal with God is a gift from God. And God will give it to all those who will receive it. And he says they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. In other words, um, it's not something that is earned. Um, It is something that is bestowed to us by God. And Jesus gives us eternal life, uh, by definition, it's a life that never ends. It's forever. And it's that gift. So eternal life begins now. It begins now. See, see, being a Christian is not just about going to heaven when you die. That's true. That's important. That's a big part of the story of God. Yes, But God wants to do things in our lives today. Eternal life starts today. That's why Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That's in this whole text of scripture, John 10, 10, in this same chapter. When you receive the gift, you begin to enter into an abundant life here on earth, not just an eternal life in heaven. It's both. It's both. It's a free gift from God and nothing we could do could cause us to earn or deserve it. A few weeks ago, my kids were over at Boondocks. Anybody here ever go to Boondocks? Anybody know what that is? Somebody does? A couple people? Boondocks is a fun place. It's a, you know, they got tons of video games, bowling, laser tag, go-karts, things like that. I got in trouble there not too long ago because I was bumping the little kids in the go-karts, you know? I went a little past or crazy, you know, I was trying to win and I was bumping those kids, you know? They were like, who is that guy? I'm like, I'm sorry, I got a little competitive. My kids were playing video games, though, and they were winning the tickets. 
And one of the, one of the kids came over and said, Dad, we won 10,000 tickets. I was like, that's a lot of tickets. And they were so excited. And they're like, Dad, we need more money. You know, We need more money for more tickets. And so they, they, they got some more money, and, and, and they went, and they played. And, and, and anyway, it was a whole group of kids, and they ended up with like 75,000 tickets. And th- this is like a racket going on over there at Boondocks. They got this thing figured out. They were so excited. The kids were like, Dad, we're going to go and get the biggest, most audacious prize that they offer at Boondocks, 75,000 tickets. I was like, yes, that sounds so exciting. And they went and they exchanged the tickets and they got like a stuffed animal that was like valued at like $10. And I'm like, you know, I must have spent $50 for the tickets to get a $10 prize. But anyway, the kids felt great. The people at Boondocks are very smart people. They're very sophisticated. They got the kids hooked on the tickets. And sometimes when we think about salvation and life eternal... We think about the tickets. We think about, well, if I did some good deeds, I got some tickets. I helped some people last year, I got tickets. I'm going to store up the tickets because at the end of time, when God asks me why I should go to heaven, I'm going to give him the tickets. And I'm going to show God all of the great deeds that I've done. And God's going to go, whoa, that's a lot of tickets. And we really believe that sometimes that the, the deeds that we do And the good that we do will earn our way into heaven. Jesus is saying the exact opposite of that. He says, I give you a gift. In other words, you don't get to heaven by earning tickets. You get to heaven by the ticket. And the ticket is the door, Jesus Christ. It's faith in him. It's our confidence in him. Jesus is the ticket. He's the ticket. A few years ago, I bought a car And I put a down payment uh, on the car. I put some money down on it. And then I got a a loan to pay for the rest of it. And so I had a monthly payment. So I had a down payment and a monthly payment. And you know, every month, the same day of the month, that payment is due. Sometimes we look at salvation. We think, well, maybe Jesus is the down payment, his death and resurrection, down payment, But I also got to have my monthly payment with my own good works. And it's kind of like, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in myself. And if I can put the two together and put them in a blender, then I have life eternal. Jesus says no. He says salvation is a gift from God. Jesus is the down payment. Jesus is the monthly payment. Jesus has paid it all. He's paid all of it for us. And that's why he's such a great shepherd. He's a great shepherd. I grew up with a kid named Brian, a kid down the street that was a super, super smart kid. He, at a very early age, was learning to play chess. He was reading books about, you know, winning in chess at age eight, you know, or something like that. You know, it's like, I think he went on in high school and became like salutatorian for our 5A high school. Very, very Lots of brain waves going on up here, you know. And I used to play with him sometimes. He was actually two, two school grades ahead of me. So, you know, he was a bigger kid. He was an older kid, and he was a lot more sophisticated. And he, he, he talked me into to playing chess. He said, Ron, I want to teach you to play chess. And I was like, all right, I'll play some chess. And, you know, after he had wiped me out like 20 times, 
And he was beating me in like four or five moves. That's how you know it's bad, right? Like, you know, it's not even a contest. Uh, you know, I had lost so much that he said to me one day, he said, why don't you want to play chess anymore? And I said, because I lose every time. I don't want to play chess with you. I mean, that, that sounds awful. And I said, you know what? I'm an Uno guy, okay? See, Uno is better than chess because it's all about luck. It's all about the luck of the draw. If you can match the colors and the numbers, you got Uno. I'll play you in Uno because at least I have some kind of chance to win. Maybe I'll get lucky. And he never wanted to do that. I think that my friend went on to actually become a four-letterman in the, in the chess club when he got into high school. He was, he was really a smart guy. Sometimes we look at our salvation like I look at playing chess. Why do I want to play if I know I'm going to lose? Maybe you've looked at being a Christian before and you're like, this is too hard. I can't do it. Why do I want to try? If I'm going to get wiped out, if I can't measure up, if I can't meet the quota and the standard, why would I even want to play in the first place? When we have those thoughts, we need to be reminded that Jesus is the good shepherd. And he is the one who gives us life eternal. It's not about, it's not about winning the match. It's not about earning the tickets. It's about a gift that God has given to us. Listen, Here's the best definition of salvation. Salvation is not me hanging on to God. Salvation is God hanging on to me. The reason that Jesus says no one can snatch them out of my hand is because we are sustained by the good shepherd. If you have salvation, it's because the good shepherd is hanging on to you. I don't know about you. I got some good days and some bad days. There's some days that I may be hanging on in faith. There may be some other days where my grip is loosened a bit. I am so glad that my salvation is not sustained by my own merits, but instead is, is fortified and fulfilled by the power and the presence of the Good Shepherd. And he lays down his life for us. You know, this is a, distinct, a distinguishing aspect of the Christian faith. In Buddhism, you reach nirvana by following the ninefold path. In Islam, it's, it's following the five pillars of Islam. In Judaism, it's keeping the law. Uh, in Mormonism, you get to different levels of heaven based on your achievements and how good of a Mormon you are. You know what? The Christian gospel is the exact opposite of all of those. The Christian gospel is not what you can do for God, it's what God has done for you. That's why he's the good shepherd. And he says, I give to them eternal life. It's a gift from God. Have you received that gift? This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to receive the greatest gift of all. But here's number five. Why I'm hooked on the good shepherd. The shepherd guards you. Look at this in verse 28 and 29. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Salvation is that beautiful gift from God. And it's guarded and protected 
from the Father. You know what? There's a lifetime warranty on your salvation. You know that? It doesn't wear out. It's a lifetime warranty. Now, there may be some people that thought they had salvation and they really didn't. I believe that. But if you've really met the good shepherd, you got a lifetime warranty. It never gets old. It's not only given to us by God, but is sustained by God. Two times in a row here in verses 28 and 29, Jesus says the same thing. No one can snatch them out of my hands. Now, we ought to take note if Jesus says something once, but if Jesus repeats it, we ought to really, really, really study what he's saying. The devil cannot snatch us out of God's hand. Someone else cannot snatch us out of God's hand. We can't even snatch ourselves out of God's hand. It's forever. And that's why he's such a wonderful, wonderful shepherd. John 10.10, a thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it in abundance. Listen, if if this gospel message gets in your spirit, and gets in your heart, it will change the way that you look at everything in your life. Because you realize that you have an intimacy and a connectivity with God in and through His Son, Jesus, that is not based on your merits or achievements. And sometimes people say, well, you know what? If you really receive salvation by the grace of God and it's a gift, then what what incentive would people have to do good? Uh, I, had a, I had a Mormon guy ask me that question not too long ago. And, and I said, oh, we have every incentive. You know what the incentive is for a Christian? Gratitude. It's called grace. It's called thank you. It's called the gospel. The greatest motivator is not burden and obligation. The greatest motivator in your spiritual life is to have your heart touched by Jesus and to live in gratitude to him for all that he's done in your life. That's what motivates people. It's not a laundry list of all the things they have to do to receive God's approval. That actually makes people depressed. That makes people feel distanced from God. That actually pushes people away. Listen, the greatest message that we have is that the good shepherd wants to know us, and he wants to have that relationship with us. And we've got one life to live. Hebrews 9, 27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. We get one life, and we have to decide, what are we going to do with Jesus Christ? He's offered us this great, 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 great relationship and gift. A number of years ago, I was hosting a uh, Super Bowl party at our church we had a new church started in another state. This was a long time ago. And we wanted to watch the game and have a cookout. And so somebody suggested that we rent a 200-inch television for the party. And this is back in the old days. Like, you know, I know all the, the TVs are flat screened and, you know, it's all different now. And they're all like, you know, super lightweight and all that. Well, this is like old school. This is like take up a wall in your house kind of a TV. And my friend said, you can go to this rent-to-own place, and they'll do it for $30. And so I got a buddy, and we went over there in a truck, and I talked to the sales guy. And I was like, we just need it for a weekend. I don't need it for a month. I don't need it for for years. I just, we're just having a party. 
And he said, okay, fine. And he said, uh, you got to fill out the paperwork. And this was like a 25-page application, you know. And I started, you know, I started off pretty well, name, address, phone number, things like that. Well, then it asked for a list of all of my credit cards. It asked for a list of all of my debts. It asked for a list of all of my friends, family members, and associates, okay? <laughs> it asked for the last five addresses that I had lived in. I was like 30 years old. I was trying to remember my college dorm room's address, and I looked at the guy and I said, listen, I'm a pastor. I'm not trying to rip you off. I need the TV. I'll pay you the money, but I'm not filling out your form. You know, I'm, I'm tired of this. And I'm not going to tell you where all my, you know, relatives live. And I'm not going to give you all my credit card information and all that. And the guy said, okay, fair enough. And so we made the deal and we took the TV. And then I thought later about it. I thought, you know, that was really weird. I thought, why would they want to know where all my friends live? Why would they want to have uh, all of my credit card numbers on file? Why would they want to know my last five addresses? And it occurred to me they were going to send the repo man. They were going to come repossess the TV if we didn't bring it back. And I thought, great. You know, there's going to be some guy lurking in the shadows around my house, ready to break my pinky if I don't get the TV back. I was kind of scared. I was never so glad to return it in my life. These guys are going to come hunt you down, man, if you don't turn it in. If you don't do what you said you're going to do, they're going to come after you. I wonder how many times that we think about salvation like the repo man. If I don't live up to the standard, God is going to come and take it back. He's going to rip it out of my hands. He knows where I live. He knows where my friends are. He's coming for it. You know what? Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be more alien to the teachings of Jesus than that. He's the good shepherd. He gives us eternal life. He stands with us when we're struggling. He wants to know us and he wants us to know him. That's why I'm so hooked on the Good Shepherd. Would you pray with me? Let's pray for just a moment.